Some of you might be familiar, been around the church for a good part of your lives with the name Youth Specialties. They are an organization named Mike Iaconelli might ring a, ring a bell. <clears throat> Fiery, crazy, radical ex-hippie who <clears throat> came to Jesus and uh, founded Youth Specialties with a, with a friend. They have been supporting youth ministries in churches uh, of all denominations for over 40 years. This week, Justin passed along some statistics to me that were posted on their website regarding the current selfie fad. Did you know that three out of ten pictures taken by people ages 18 to 24 are selfies? Each year, teens spend the equivalent of almost seven full work days taking selfies. Did you know, probably suspected, that selfies can perpetuate unhealthy, narcissistic behavior? This is according to Dr. David Beal. He's a cognitive behavioral therapist. Listen to this. He says that since the rise of camera phones, two-thirds of all the patients that come to him with what is called body dysmorphic disorder that is a person who spends hours a day stressing out over what they perceive to be flaws in their body. Persons who come to him with body dysmorphic disorder, excuse me, two-thirds of them, since the rise of camera phones, have a compulsion to repeatedly take and post selfies on social media sites. In fact, one teen actually tried to commit suicide because he could not get the perfect selfie despite almost 10 hours of trying. Did you know that Americans take 93 million selfies every day? If we still used film, that would be the equivalent of 2,583,333 rolls of film every day. And just an extra tidbit, no extra charge, research shows that we are checking our phones 100 billion times a day. That's billion with a B. In 2015, 12 people worldwide were killed while taking selfies. More people than died from shark attacks around the world. So one article that I read raised the question of whether or not the selfie fad is just a harmless way of preserving memories, or is it a dangerous sign of a growing preoccupation with self? Gosh, I wonder... Okay, so show of hands, how many of you have taken... No, I'm just teasing. I Don't show your hands. We don't want to see them. I had to tell you about those selfie facts because we have been talking a lot about selfie in these past weeks as we have considered this sermon series on being crucified with Christ. And we've discovered, at least I hope, <clears throat> been clear, that 
when it comes down to the problem that confronts us as human beings, as, as followers of Jesus in our humanness, it's not really, or necessarily I should say, that we think too highly of ourselves or that we think too little of ourselves. The problem is, we just think of ourselves too much. That's really the problem or the barrier that confronts us when it comes to being crucified with Christ, living that out. Living out crucifixion, death to self, surrender, and living by faith to the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And it's a problem that we've learned that comes from the sin nature. The sin nature drives us to that. We, we see all of life through the lens of self. How does this impact me? What does this do for me? How does this hurt me? What will people think of me? It's the lens of self, and our sin nature strives to bring that into clear focus every day that we live. And in order to to live out what it means to be crucified with Christ, which I think should be the goal of every one of us who are his followers, we must change our thinking about self. And, and we can, we are able to change our thinking about self because that's what the Spirit does when he comes into our life. He, he brings salvation and he frees us, as we've learned, from the tyranny of self-care and preservation. That is at the core what the sin nature is. It's concern about self. It's promotion of self. It's exaltation of self. It's care of self. To the neglect, to the rejection some places in Scripture, of God and His place in our lives. And what flows out of that is our rejection of others. We were made to love God and to love others. And the sin nature will corrupt that even in some of the most subtle ways. How many times have we gone into a relationship with a heart full of love and found ourselves disappointed because it just hasn't turned out like we thought it would. What's that about? It's about us and and how it impacts us. It it, it can be very subtle. This week I remembered a, a, really a a dumb illustration. Some of you who are at Applewood, I think in my first or second year, may remember this. I, I suggested, I don't even remember what this sermon was about, but I just remember saying that if you... Go out and buy a new car. The first thing you should do when you bring it home is go get your hammer and put a dent in it. (laughs) Like I said, I don't remember what the context was. I do remember that someone was pretty irritated at me for saying that. Had a little conversation about that after the service. Don't we easily and naturally invest in ourselves and in things that are important to us often for the wrong reasons. And then what the sin nature does is it tricks us into believing that our identity is actually wrapped up in that stuff. That's what the sin nature does. Pushes us always to care about self. Don't worry about God. Maybe care for others a little bit. We hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 
to not be like the pagans. That's the, the word in the New Testament era that Christians used to describe those who didn't know God, that Jews used to describe people who didn't know God. Don't be like the pagans, Jesus says, pursuing the things of this world. Food and drink and material possessions. Why would Jesus say that? Because he knows that what we treasure captures our hearts. It just does. So we're going to conclude our series this morning by looking at, I'm going to just have to say, probably my favorite all-time text. We've studied it together before. We're going to look at it again this morning because I think it is the supreme example of what death to self looks like. So it'll come as no surprise that it's the example of Jesus. And it's from Paul's letter to the Philippian church, chapter 2. Jesus died to self many times in his life. If we consider what, what Paul says about Jesus, and we'll see the words, we'll read them, his pre-incarnate condition, and he came and he took on the form of, of humanity, and, and we know the story, he lived his life with people, that was death to self over and over and over again in terms of who he was and what he deserved and what people should have been doing for him, and yet we see him again and again and again, not only pouring himself into the lives of others, but eventually pouring out his life for the sake of others. He is our example of how to do it. The text is written by Paul to believers in the church at Philippi, and, and this particular portion that we pick up in is right in the midst of concern for how God's people are living life together. We could say concern for how well they're dying to self in relationship with one another. So let's stand and read from Philippians 2, shall we? <clears throat> Here we go. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Such an amazing text. Such a hard text. Man. Do you hear those those death to self exhortations? And, And unfortunately, they're not suggestions. They're, they're exhortations. It's, it's the imperative language. language. It's, it's command. <clears throat> Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Oh, that's an easy one. You know, where does selfish ambition and vain conceit come from? 
the old nature, the sin nature that, that still lives in, and lurks within us. In humility, value others above yourselves. Well, why wouldn't we do that as the people of God? Because the sin nature is still alive and, and shows itself. Because, frankly, I would rather people do that for me. And then I'll return the favor, right? You initiate, and then I'll, I'll be nice back. Do not look to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's a great idea. You go first. Paul says these things to the Philippian believers who are followers of Jesus, who have been set free from the bondage of the sin nature. As we've said, it's all about self-preservation and self-care. And he uses Jesus as the supreme example of someone who, who did this. He has Christ in mind. I think it's one of the most stunning texts in all of Scripture because it, it describes for us both the, the, the death to self that Jesus lived on a daily basis in terms of pouring his life into others, but it also records for us the crucifixion of Jesus in securing our redemption. One of the things that we have learned that Paul spoke to the Corinthians, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to to live as dead to self? Well, we do that because we understand that Jesus has become our redemption. We are secure. There is nothing that happens in our lives that is apart from his permission over our lives as sovereign Lord. God did not wait for us to want him. He wanted us. God did not wait for us to reach out to him. He reached out to us. God did not wait for us to do good to him so that he could do good for us. Not at all. The son put on flesh and he died to self countless times daily before he ultimately died physically on the cross for our salvation. And Paul, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, then writes these words that we just read. Can we put that next slide up, Karen? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And he's just described how Jesus was willing to to leave glory and to not cling to what he had there and to come to earth and wrap himself in, in human flesh to live a life of obedience that ultimately ended up in obediently dying on the cross because it was the will of God. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Discuss the mindset of Jesus with your neighbor. How would you describe it? Just in a word or two or three. Just take a couple minutes. Discuss his mindset. Some translations will say attitude. Very similar thing. How, how he thought of himself and how he thought of, of his life and what he was doing. Mindset, attitude. Discuss that together. All right, what do you think? 
Ready to share a word or two or a sentence? Or a couple of sentences? Did you hear that? Selfless. We are? (laughs) Good. All right. What else? Another word or two or a phrase. Doesn't matter. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Yeah. What else? Servant. Heaven-centric and big picture. I like that. Good. What else? Servant's heart. Leighton, we couldn't agree more. Sure. No, I get that. And, and I, would just, I would just remind all of us, because you're wrestling when you do, I think when you, and I appreciate that honest expression, because I go there too. We all wrestle with the reality of the incarnation, you know, and the fact that Jesus was fully human. And, and there are, the writer of Hebrews says, temptations that he faced and yet didn't give in, the same temptations that, that face us. And uh, so I, I hear what you're saying about the mindset, but yet there is something very real about the humanness of Jesus in terms of the life that he lived as our example in obedience to the will of the Father and, and, uh, and not giving in. Jill, you want to add? Sure. I read somewhere this week, I forget who, I read it, who, who wrote it, but something about if you want to know how you're doing in, in growth to become more like Christ in your life, don't measure it by amazing quiet times, amazing times of prayer. Measure it by your ability to love other people no matter who they are. I just, you remind me of that. I thought, wow, what a, what a challenging statement that is. So early in this series together, we, we learned that one of the keys to, to self death, to dying to self, to living out the truth of I am crucified with Christ, is understanding what, what Jesus did for us in his death on the cross. And that's the first Corinthians text that I referenced a moment ago that Paul said to the Corinthian believers and to us, to all of God's people who read those words, that Christ has become for us righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And we learn that, that when Jesus becomes our righteousness, it means that his righteousness is counted as ours. That's amazing. He did not get a good deal, but we did. That's an incredible statement. It's his righteousness counted as ours, that when we put our faith in him to cleanse and to forgive us from the sin nature, there's an enormous deposit that is made into our very bankrupt spiritual account. We are given the righteousness of Christ which is the righteousness of God. Paul wrote later on in his letter to the Corinthians that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's quite the transaction. And so I think that this is the key to doing what Paul says in this text. It's a part of... The, the attitude, how, the mindset of how we, we understand ourselves or think of ourselves, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, to remember that there is always this war going on in our beings between what my old self wants and what the Spirit of God has empowered me to become and who God has made me in Christ. To be crucified with Christ means that the old nature is no longer in control of us. We don't have to surrender to sin. 
We've been wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus forever. It is a secure, permanent deal. So think about this for just a minute. What is, what is the truth of the incarnation that we wrestle with? That I mentioned with Heather is that we all at times in different ways, Jesus was 100% God, 100% human, right? But it, it stretches our minds. Listen again to what Paul says. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Paul is making a reference there to what theologians refer to as his pre-incarnate state. Who, who was Jesus prior to coming to earth as a human? What, what, did, he, what did he look like? We don't know. All we know is who's been revealed to us in Scripture. And so it's, it's a reference that he didn't consider equality with God. That we know as, as the eternal Son in, in our understanding of the Trinity, equal co-member of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we know that prior to his coming to the earth, he existed as that Son, equal with the Father and the Spirit, right? We, that, we, that's, we, we try to wrap our heads around that, but that's what we understand. Paul says that Jesus didn't grasp that or cling to that. He, he, didn't, he didn't hang on to that. But he willingly made himself nothing. That's quite a commentary, I think, on life as a human being on planet Earth versus the splendor of living in triune community for eternity. He made himself nothing, Paul says, and took on human flesh. So, why is it that Jesus did not grasp or cling to his status as the eternal son? Because we believe that scripture teaches us that he was still the son of God in human form. Yes? So, he didn't cling or grasp onto something because coming to earth and taking on human flesh didn't change who he was. Didn't change who he, he was in terms of his position and his authority as the eternal Son of God. He was the Son of God when he arrived. He was the Son of God throughout the life that he lived on this earth. And when he went back to heaven... He was still the Son of God. His status as the Son of God never changed. But while on earth, the best we can say is that his location and his appearance changed. But he was still the Son of God. He always had been. He always would be. So Paul says then that our attitudes, our mindset about ourself in relationship to others, needs to be like Jesus. Because it can be. Because we've been set free. Because Christ is our righteousness. Because Christ is our holiness. Because Christ is our redemption. We have been set free from the power of sin to control our lives. 
Paul is speaking to believers here. In Philippi, he's speaking to us. Those redeemed and filled with the power of the Spirit of God, Paul is saying, do this, live this way towards one another. Consider others as more important than yourself. Don't do things out of vain conceit. Pride? Don't. Instead, live as Jesus did toward others because you can is what's implied because you can because the spirit of God has come into your life and has transformed you you have been wrapped in the righteousness of Christ I read the story of a nine-year-old little boy who was sitting at his desk in school when all of a sudden there was a puddle between his feet and the front of his pants wet He thinks his heart is going to stop. Oh my gosh. He's never going to hear the end of this when his friends find out. The boys will just tease him mercilessly. The girls, well, they'll never speak to him again as long as he lives. And so (laughs) the story goes that he just kind of bowed his head for a moment and said, Dear God, this is an emergency. I need help. Because five minutes from now, I'm dead meat. He looks up from his prayer, and here comes the teacher with a look in her eyes that says he's been discovered. As the teacher is coming to snatch him up, a classmate named Susie is carrying a goldfish bowl filled with water. And as she comes by him, she stumbles and dumps the goldfish bowl into his lap. (laughs) Now, this little boy pretends to be very angry, but the truth is he's praying, Thank you, Jesus, I'm saved. Now, rather than being the object of ridicule, this little boy is suddenly the object of great sympathy. The teacher rushes him downstairs and gives him gym shorts to put on while his pants dry out. And when he comes back to class, all the kids are on their hands and knees cleaning up around his desk. This is wonderful. But as life would have it, the ridicule that should have been his has been transferred to Susie. She tries to help. But they tell her to get out. You've done enough, you klutz. As the day progresses, the sympathy gets better and better for him. The ridicule gets worse and worse for her. At the end of the day, they're waiting at the bus stop. The boy walks over to Susie and whispers, Susie, you did that on purpose, right? She whispered back, I wet my pants once too. Jesus, my brothers and sisters, endured the ridicule and the shame and the agony of death on the cross so that we could live with confidence and certainty before God as his beloved children. And as we've learned, death to self means that we strive to live according to kingdom values. What are the values of the kingdom of God? Well, we see lived out in his people and taught through scripture values as we've talked about before, that, that, that strength is actually shown in weakness because, because God shows up in the weakness. Boasting is not something that the kingdom of God values. Humility is esteemed. Privilege is not something that is important in the kingdom. 
unless it is the privilege that God has extended to those who didn't deserve it and they have become a part of his family. Upside down values. And, and as we live out a life of being crucified to Christ, it is those values that, that drive us, that need to show up in our lives, that the Spirit of God is motivating and exhorting and, and empowering in us. And more than likely, and we've said this before as well, it will result in ridicule. At least in the eyes of many, we will be seen as impractical, as stupid, as ridiculous. But if we are the sons and daughters of God, if we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, then our response needs to be, who cares what others think? Who cares? I am in a right relationship with the God who created me for himself. Jesus was ridiculed and scorned, but he laid down his life because nothing could change who he was. And because he did that, our surrender to him as Savior and Lord transforms us into the children of God. Jesus followed through. And because he did, we are who we are. Athanasius, one of the early church fathers, put it this way. He became what we are that he might make us what he is. Because Jesus did not cling to the rights and the privilege and the position that were his from all eternity. We can become children of God. And it's only possible because he humbled himself. Because he lived among us. Because he died to self on a daily basis as he put others first and poured his life into them. And ultimately, because he allowed them, yes, he allowed them to crucify him. May this amazing truth transform our thinking about what it means ultimately to be, to be great as God's people. I think there is there's something in the sin nature that calls to us. You know, and, and, and even as, as Christians, we want to be great Christians. I want Applewood to be a great church. I want to be a great pastor. What the heck does that mean? Let's pray for faithfulness. Let's pray to be Christ-like. And, and that will show itself in ways that aren't necessarily measured as greatness in our lives and in our culture. But the measure of true greatness in the kingdom of God is the humbling of self to the will of God. He is not impressed with any of the things that make for greatness in the kingdoms of this world. Greatness is measured according to the life of Jesus. That is the standard of greatness. Dying to self and laying down our lives for the sake of others. It is so hard. But that is why he's given us the gift of his spirit. 
Brothers and sisters, we have living in us as followers of Jesus Christ who have surrendered ourselves to his lordship and fallen on our faces before him because of his forgiveness and his grace. He has empowered us to live a life of true greatness for the sake of God's glory, for the sake of people who need to know him. Mother Teresa wrote these words. So profound. People are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Be good anyway. Honesty and frankness will make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People need help, but may attack you if you try to help them. Help them anyway. And in the final analysis, I love this. It is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. That is the follower of Jesus. Praise team is going to come forward and they're going to lead us in a song for which I am really grateful that you guys worked hard to make this happen. I passed it along to them early in the week. May the mind of Christ my Savior. It's an old hymn. But it is one that has just grabbed my heart for years. And it's, uh, it's based on Philippians 2.5. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. Father, may that be true of us, your people. May we be attentive to the voice of the Spirit who speaks into our lives, challenges our values and our priorities out of great love and out of great passion to see us become more and more like Jesus who gave himself for us. I pray that for each one of us, the Spirit will continue to empower and remind us of who we are in Christ so that we can give ourselves away each day for the sake of one another with whom we are family in the body of Christ, for the sake of those who have yet to know him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.